Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. Hey, it's so good to see you. My name's Don. For those who don't know me, uh, my wife Louise have the privilege of leading Sunny Hill with a great team. And uh, if this mic, I don't know whether this mic's going to give us issues. If so, we'll switch out, um, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, aren't the worship team here amazing? Honor them, man. They're awesome. So good. You guys are incredible, and it just sounded so good. And actually, I just want to take a moment as well to honor your leaders, Adam and Fru. Um, guys, seriously, that's awesome. You can clap. Like, it, it's one of those things. So we at Edgebaston or are we at Wembley today? It's kind of definitely a Wembley church, okay? Uh, we, yeah, yeah, here we go. Here's the Brighton one. Um, we love Adam and Fru. Uh, they're an inspiration to us as a team. They serve on the leadership team of Sunny Hill. Um, and they're inspirational for many reasons. Um, first and foremost, they just love Jesus, and that just emanates from their core. Um, but actually, they really love you. Um, and that, that's so encouraging and inspiring to see. Like, you, you don't have access to the world maybe like me and Louise do, but we see how they uh, pray for you, how they talk about you, how they even at times agonize over you. you know? they, they are literally, they, they love you guys so much, and uh, they're pouring out their life to try and build you as a community of faith. So I just want to honor them. So thank you for all you do, guys. Uh, so for those of you who aren't aware, um, myself and Louise and our three boys, we've uh, just recently got back from Australia and New Zealand, having had a jolly, I mean a sabbatical, for... <laughs> Eight weeks uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, and the purpose of the trip really was to take time out away from the coalface of ministry just to see what God might be saying. I better start my timer, otherwise you're going to hate me by the end of today, so let's get that going. Um, And really, the goal was for us to uh, come out of the bubble of Sunny Hill and see what God is doing in other parts of the world and how God is growing churches and what he's doing, not because we want to be anyone else. We don't want to be anyone else. We want to be Sunny Hill. We believe that God's got something for us. But actually, we can learn principles from some of these great churches that we see in Australia and New Zealand. And we just had a remarkable time. So thank you for those of you who prayed for us while we were absent. Um, it was, Louise had the time of her life. I mean, eight weeks unbroken time with the love of her life. She was loving it. Just, she, weren't you, Louie? Honestly, come on. And um, every morning she would wake up. She says, I am so blessed to be married to you. No. She didn't say that, but that's what happened in my dream. Then I woke up and she'd get me a coffee. Um, uh, but no, it's good to be here. Um, we just wanted to show you kind of the highlight reel. So we did our three months kind of concentrated into like just under three minutes. Um, and it, the reason we want to show you that is because it's pertinent to what we want to talk about today. So here are one second video blasts of our eight weeks away in Australia and New Zealand. Hopefully it's going to work. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we had a remarkable time, so thank you for your prayers during that period. Uh, open your Bibles to Zechariah 4. Today I'm going to be talking on the theme, All Good Things Come to an End. You know the most pessimistic, pessimistic saying in the history of mankind. Well, let's look at that this morning, Zechariah 4. Listen to this. Zechariah 4, the context is this, is that Israel have been in captivity now, have been captives uh, for 70 years in Babylon. Israel... Uh, and Judah, who championed the city of Jerusalem, this glorious city on a hill, the hub of society, the central focus of their community, the place where they worshipped, the walls in which they met with God and, and uh, did that procession, that annual kind of ascension of the hill of the Lord, was now lying in ruins because Babylon had come in and defeated it and had destroyed it and had taken Israelites uh, captive. 
And it's kind of interesting because after 70 years of captivity, there's an opportunity for the Israelites to come back to Judah and come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple of God. The problem is, is although there's excitement about the rebuilding of the temple, there is opposition to the rebuilding of the temple. We actually read that the Gentiles or the Samaritans actually, they're not really interested in this temple being rebuilt because their concern is that the Israelites are going to now get their identity back and they're going to start kind of lording it over them. And so the Samaritans and Gentiles, they write to the king of the day of Babylon and kind of uh, just say, please, 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 can we stop this building work? And the building work comes to a stop for 16 long years. It's an interesting thing because there's this guy called Zerubbabel that we're going to read about today. And he was a leader in the day. He was like a priest in the day. Um, and God raised him up, even though he was born in captivity, to lead the first exiles back to Jerusalem. He has this burden to rebuild the temple, and he starts it, and we read about it in Ezra and Haggai. And what we read is there's two different feelings about the rebuilding of the temple. For some, they're excited because they'd never seen the first temple, and they were buzzing about it, like, thank God he's rebuilding a work. But there was also people in the crowd, old priests who saw the original temple, and they cried because they didn't think it was as glorious as the new temple. And so in that context, Zerubbabel is trying to build, and once he'd laid the foundations, the building works come to a halt because the king said, look, you've got to stop because it's causing an uprising. You can read about this in Ezra 3, and you read some of the letters back and forth. And it's kind of interesting because after 16 years, I don't know really how Zerubbabel was feeling, but for me, I'd be feeling kind of discouraged, uh, a little bit, I guess, uh, deflated, a little bit disenfranchised with the project because I would have been convinced 16 years ago God was going to do it, but he didn't do it. It seemed to come to a stop. And after 16 years, God then rises up Zechariah, a prophet and priest of God, to speak to Zerubbabel. And this is what we read in Zechariah 4. Verse 6, and it is going to be on the Bible in the sky. So if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow it there. It says this, Then he said to me, this is Zechariah speaking to Zerubbabel. Everyone say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. It's a hard thing to say. I wish it was an easier name. Something like John would have been much easier. But Zerubbabel's there, so that's what we'll say. This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So Zerubbabel, who has got this burden to rebuild the temple of God. I mean, I don't know what his mentality was 16 years previous to this point, but now God sees it fit to say through Zechariah the prophet, listen, hey, Zerubbabel, this rebuilding work you're going to do, it's not going to be because you're strong or because you're really clever or because you're going to be highly strategic and you're just going to have an influx of all the people you need. It's actually going to be a work of the Spirit of God. It's an interesting thing. I think so often in our life, when we think about rebuilding our life, when we think about building Sunny Hill Church, how often and how easy it is and how tempting it is to lean on man's ideas and how easy it is to try and just do our best. But actually, God is speaking through Zechariah. Hey, 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 it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit. When God calls you to build, it's by his Holy Spirit. And so actually, maybe today you're kind of feeling like you're kind of maybe useless. Maybe you're feeling insignificant. Maybe you're feeling ill-equipped. Maybe you don't feel able. Let me tell you, there's good news for you today. Because actually, it's about God's Spirit working through you. And so we read here in verse 6, Not by force, nor by strength, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 7, Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. 
it will become a level plain before him. Now, obviously, there was no mountain, physical mountain resistance to the rebuilding of the temple. But it's this picture of whatever opposition is standing before Zerubbabel, it's going to come flat before him. Why? Because God has called it this way. He's saying, listen, when I call you to build, nothing is going to get in the way. It reminds me of when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Listen, when God wants to do a building work, no mountain, no Goliath, no giant can stop it. Maybe in your life, you're trying to build disciplines into your world to move closer to God and to know him more. Listen, and you may be looking at giants and opposition, and Adam and Fru have spoken about it and referred to it. Whatever's happened in your week this week, let me tell you this, to stand on the goodness of God and the word of God and understand no mountain can stand before me as I build what God is calling me to build. And so Zechariah is saying this to Zerubbabel. He says this, when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. In other words, he's saying to Zerubbabel, hey, you might have opposition, but at the end, when the last stone goes in, everyone's going to step back and go, wow, this is awesome. You may have critics now, you may have opposition now, but one day people will see the stone that goes in and everyone goes, wow, God, you're good, would you bless that? And we read in. In verse 8, then another message came to me from the Lord, Zechariah says, Zerubbabel, this is God speaking to Zerubbabel, is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Like you began the work and you're going to finish the work. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. And here we go in verse 10. And this is the soundbite that many of us will know. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work done, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. It's an interesting thing we've got here. God speaking to Zerubbabel in this moment to say, hey, Zerubbabel, I'm going to send you all the money you need. I'm going to send you all the people you need. Just chill out. It's all good in the hood. He doesn't say that. Actually, what he says is, hey, don't despise the day of small beginnings. It's an interesting thing because I think in our human propensity, uh, our nature is this, is that actually in small beginnings we feel insignificant. In small beginnings we feel almost isolated at times. In small beginnings we feel like, man, when is God going to do something? And I just feel like in my spirit right now that God is saying this to us as a church wide. He's saying, listen, like don't despise the day of small beginnings. Now why would he say that? Why would God not despise the day of small beginnings? Well, actually, we read in Revelation that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, which means that Jesus is the beginning and he's the end. We also read in Hebrews that it says that, uh, no, sorry, in Isaiah 46, maybe 47, we read that he knows the beginning from the end. In other words, God sits out of time and can see the end from the beginning. And so as he looks at Sunny Hill right now, he doesn't just look at us where we're at. He looks at where we're going to be next year, where we're going to be in five years, where we're going to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, and then in 150 years when I finally pass away, where we'll be and who the next leader, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's an amazing and encouraging thing. And this is why Zechariah says to Zerubbabel, hey, the Lord rejoices to see it when you pick up the plumb line. What's the plumb line? A plumb line is a tool that ensures that the walls are being rebuilt in straight lines. God doesn't love a plumb line just because he loves straight lines. He loves it because the tool speaks of the outcome. 
So actually, Zechariah is saying, hey, Zerubbabel, don't be discouraged. Listen, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Why? Because God loves to see the work begin. And he celebrates when he sees you pick up the tool that he's going to lead to the outcome that he can already see in the future. It's an interesting thing because so often we are stuck in this moment and this reality and we can often only limited by our vision, see what's around us, our circumstance, and go, God, is this really it? Well, let me tell you, it isn't. God is in our tomorrow, is in our next week, is in our next month, and is in our next year. And God can see all of that Sunny Hill is going to become. And so when he looks at us in our present day, and we decide to pick up a tool that is for, for building what God is laying on our hand, he rejoices. Actually, he looks and he goes, yeah, that's it. I'm loving this right now. Why? Because you are building towards the preferred future that I have for you. You know, some of you got to think about this. As you, as you want to grow in your spiritual walk, maybe you want to grow in your marriage. Maybe you want to grow in your parenting. Maybe you want to grow in your workplace kind of ability. Let me tell you, you've got to pick up tools that are going to lead you to the outcome that you think God is pressing into your world. Like, in other words, if you're going to be a great husband, it doesn't just happen by cussing out your wife or cussing out your spouse. It actually looks like this. What tools do I need to ensure that my marriage goes the distance? Okay, I need words of affirmation. That is a tool in my hand that is going to lead me into the future that God has for my marriage. And when I pick up that tool and I start affirming my wife, God looks at that and says, I love it when you pick up that tool, Dom. I love it. You know, when we're thinking about building church, what tools are necessary to ensure that the plumb line that we're using are building the walls that God is laying down before us? I think this is so important because I think so often in our insignificance and in our smallness, we're tempted to think, is there any point? But let me tell you, if you don't understand now the role of faith when you're building in the small things, actually when you grow, you're still going to battle with the same mentality. Because it's something you wrestle with now. Understanding, hey God, I believe you are calling me to build something. What should I pick up? And actually, when we start a work, maybe right now in your marriages, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your parenting, maybe you just suck as a dad. Like, maybe you're just rubbish. Maybe every time your kids say, can you play with me, dad? You're like, no, it's all right, thanks, I'm bored. I don't want to do your things, right? And you're thinking, like, actually, this is, this is so, and you know that God is saying, this isn't the dad I'm calling you to be. Well, you either kind of just wear that guilt and that shame, or you go, you know what? From now on, I'm going to commit to playing with my children every single day for 30 minutes, and actually, I'm going to use that tool to become the dad that my kids need me to be. And I believe that actually in that moment, it's not to despise those small beginnings. Because God isn't looking in heaven, only 30 minutes? Let's think about your walk with God. Maybe right now you don't pick up your Bible ever. Only when you come to church. Maybe you don't even pray in your own world. And, and we can stand from the front and we can say, oh, you really need to pray. You really need to read your Bible. And you're like, where, where do I start? You go home and you pick up the Bible and you start Genesis, right? And after a week, you get to Leviticus and you think, oh my gosh, do I kill myself now? What's going on? You know, because actually, if, if we think that it's all achieved by doing all the grandioso big stuff, then we're misunderstanding the preciousness of small beginnings. Yeah. By saying, God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to commit to reading maybe five verses a day. God doesn't despise. He's not insecure about that stuff. He's not looking and going, oh, that's really small. God doesn't despise small beginnings because what he sees in that is a tool that you are picking up that is going to lead to the outcome that he wants in your life. Yeah, maybe it's giving even through brought great word about giving. Maybe it's like, oh, I don't want to give. What do I have to give? A thousand pound? Listen, if you're not giving, then think, you know what? God doesn't despise small beginnings. He, he loves it. He rejoices. Yeah. 
Maybe right now, I don't know, you're on benefits and you're just thinking, well, really, right now I want to give £10 a week or something. You know what? I think God is in heaven and he's loving that. He's like, I love small beginnings because as soon as you pick up the tool, it speaks of your intention to get to my preferred future for you. It's an incredible thing when you think about it. Because in our personal world, so often people start and they falter at week two, week three, because they get overwhelmed by the smallness of where they're at. But actually, hey, if we can just resolve in our heart, God loves small beginnings. He's not scared of small beginnings. He's not insecure in small beginnings. Think about Jesus. Jesus, we, we say in leadership land in church, Jesus was the greatest leader that ever lived. Well, when he died, he only really had 12 disciples. And one of them killed himself, right? And actually, if you're going to look at paper, you go, well, if Jesus thought that it was always about the bigness and about the big crowds, he would have championed the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. And he loved the thousands. We see that in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes and the church multiplies. But actually, Jesus understood, hey, I'm about the small beginnings here. For three years, I'm going to pour my life into 12 guys. And three of those guys in particular, I'm going to give my focus and attention because Jesus isn't insecure about small beginnings. And it's incredible because he didn't despise small beginnings, but he just poured his life into them. Actually, when he died, there was a legacy that lasted a lot longer than Jesus' life on earth. I mean, it's an incredible thing. Actually, I say this quite often. Really, what, what we need as a church is not thousands of people to rock upon a Sunday because that really doesn't speak about how healthy or how good your church is. What you need is just disciples committing to growing their walk with God. And if there's 10 of you, then that's a start. God can work with that. I think about Abraham. Abraham, who was like 100 plus, and his wife, who's like 100. And God says, hey, Abraham, come out of your tent a minute. Like, just come out of your tent. And Abraham comes out and says, look at the stars. And Abraham says, yeah, they're cool. God, they're great stars. Good job. Nailed it on the star side of life. And God says, look, count the stars, Abraham. And I just imagine, one, two, three. 133, 1,332, and God speaks, and everyone's like, shh, I'm counting here, come on. i to start again now. And God's saying, listen, your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars and the sand on the seashore. So there's this big vision cast, the big dream. My watch just talked to me. That freaked me out. There's this big watch. There's, um, big watch. there's this big vision. There's this big dream that Abraham could be like, well, I see the vision, but God, I, I don't know if you missed the boat here, but my wife's 100 and she's barren. Like she's never had any kids, yet you're saying that we're going to have as many descendants as the stars that I can count. I mean, it's an amazing thing that God loves these small beginnings. And actually, it takes about 26 years for the word of that prophetic word to actually come to pass in Abraham and Sarah's life. I think about David when he's called in the obscurity of shepherding in Bethlehem, looking after his dad's sheep. That actually God speaks to him and says, hey, you're going to be the king over my people. And I, I just look at David and I'm thinking like, what, a 16-year-old boy who his own father forgot about in the back and beyond of Bethlehem? Like, really? God isn't worried about small beginnings. Think about Joseph, who like God had given a vision of, um, I don't know what you would call it, but prominence and influence that he would save a nation like, and that he would be the savior to his family in many ways. He shares that with his older brothers and he gets thrown in a hole. Like, God isn't scared about small beginnings. In fact, God loves small beginnings. I say this because I think so often what we are inclined to do 
is we look at somebody's page 20 and we compare it to our page one and we don't progress in life. We get overwhelmed by the fact, well, look, they're slaying it. I mean, look at Adam and Fru. I mean, their kids are like Jesus one, Jesus two, Jesus three, Jesus four. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I just, I see JJ praying for Charlotte every Sunday and it's so beautiful and just like giving a nice sibling cuddle and all that stuff. And I take my kids to church and they're tearing their hair out. And it's been a battle getting through the door and like the kids saying, I don't even want to go to church. I want to join a football team. You know, all this kind of stuff. You know, and, and almost we, we compare our page one to someone's page 20 and we go, what's the point? I'll tell you what the point is. God rejoices when you start a work. When you resolve in your heart, listen, I'm not called to be Adam and Fru. I can learn from Adam and Fru, but I'm not Adam and Fru. We have our own way of doing things. But what we can do is we can make a decision today to start building toward God's preferred future for our life. Do you understand what I'm saying here today? I mean, this, this relates to your personal world. It's a great principle for you to understand that actually you're not just going to rock up at your vision and your dream. It, you know? A journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step kind of philosophy. Yeah. That actually, if we want to change Ferndown, let's not just look at what we've got and go, what's the point? You know, it's even hard to get when we move location for one Sunday. No, no, no. Listen, God does not despise small beginnings. He just rejoices when we commit our heart. Hey, we're not there yet. But actually, we are so content and exciting, celebrating where we are. But we're going to move. And we're going to change, and we're going to add, and we're going to tweak, and we're going to develop. But it's small steps because God loves it when Zerubbabel picks up a plumb line, gets a plumb line in his hands, and looks at the wall and goes, I'm going to build today. It's interesting. I, one of the things that we, um, great experiences we had in Australia, we got to go to Hillsong. And Hillsong, we love Hillsong. We think it's an amazing church. We don't want to be Hillsong, although sometimes I call our worship team Sunny Hillsong because I think that's funny. Um, but Hillsong Church is a real amazing church. Um, just been resourcing the church's worship in Christendom for like 30 years now and just done the, the kind of test of time. Just an amazing church. And me and Louise got the opportunity to go to the mothership, which is in Sydney, where there's thousands of people rocking out a few times a day. Um, to worship God, and it's just incredible. And like we're there, and we're, we're kind of like, oh my gosh. And it's easy in those moments when you pastor a church that is so much smaller to feel discouraged and deflated and think, what's the point? Why don't we just pray for Hillsong to come to Paul and Ferndown and Corfmore, and we can just retire and just go to that church? Like, what's the point? But it's kind of interesting that like Hillsong had a start too. Check out this video here. Look, this is from their conference last year, and it's a great song that we love at Sunny Hill. So will I. Check this out. Incredible, isn't it? Yes. Like 20,000 people under one room. Incredible, isn't it? So good. Some of you are like, no, not really. Like, oh, come on. That's awesome. That's awesome. 20,000 people under one roof worshipping the name of Jesus together. It's a picture of heaven on earth. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, if you don't like big church, you're going to hate heaven, <laughs> basically. Where there's thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of worshippers just praising the name of Jesus all day long. And there's a sense of that in Hillsong, which is just, like, overwhelming. Where Hillsong and United are leading that, that worship moment. And it's incredible. Just the other day, I saw on Instagram that they've hit 200 million downloads on the album they released two months ago. 200 million downloads. That outstrips like Adele and Justin Bieber, like, put together. (laughs) I'm a bit concerned that all you heard was strips Adele. That's all I heard. (laughs) I hope that and not Justin Bieber. Anyways, you know, I think it's interesting that you look at that and you're in that moment at the church on the Sunday and you're like, wow, let's look at that. And then nothing against this. This is awesome and I love you guys, but let's compare it to this. And the worship's incredible, but I mean, like, wow, something else there. We're not called to be Hillsong, but what we are called to emulate is the longevity. Because what we don't realize is that 35 years ago, Hillsong had a beginning. And whilst I was there, I managed to get my hands on some really interesting footage. Do you want to see Hillsong's early days when Darlene Check was just starting? Do you want to see it? This is going to blow your mind. This room's probably bigger. Check it out. There's Brian Houston on the microphone. And Darlene Check on the far left on the microphones. <laughs> Oops. Love it. Amazing, isn't it? Now, let me ask you a question. Which one's more inspiring to you, the so will I or the beginning? For me, for me, it's that. So it's early stages where there's probably 100 people in the room, Brian Houston with a mullet, clearly God anoints the mullet, right? And this kind of Tom Selleck moustache is going, God, praise the Lord. Adam can do a great impression, can't you? Go on, Adam, do it. Okay, okay, it's God. In his own personal time, get him to do an impression of Brian Houston. He nails it. He nails it. And you should see his impression of Darlene Check. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, but it's so interesting that, like, we look at the Hillsong model now and we go, oh. Yeah. But, hey, there was years where in its infancy, in its inception, the small beginning and the, 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 what we see there is a praise culture being built into the fabric of the house. See Brian Houston commanding an energetic and vibrant response to the goodness of God. And so we look 35 years down the line, no wonder they're smashing it when it comes to worship because in day one, when they had very little, they had committed to getting the plumb line tool and putting in place what's needed to lead us to our God-preferred vision future dream. So important that we understand this dynamic. And I've got two minutes. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells this story of the kingdom of God. And I won't turn there, but it is there, Matthew 13. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He says, it's the smallest seed in the garden. He says, well, like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God isn't insecure about being small. Like, it just isn't. (laughs) The kingdom of God is fully assured. It knows what it's about. He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. This is Matthew 13. And then he says, but when it's planted becomes the biggest tree in the garden. 
There's something at its inception and origin that seems so insignificant and almost if I didn't show it to you, you would miss it. And if I gave it to you now, you'd probably lose it before you like, leave the building. The kingdom of God is kind of like this. Something that is started in insignificance and in smallness. When it's planted in healthy soil, it's only going to go one way. It's going to lead to growth. And it's going to become a place that is so expanding that the birds of the air come and find rest and shelter in its branches and in its leaves. So maybe this morning you can't get a vision for big Ferndown campus because actually you like smallness, right? Maybe, maybe. Let me try and employ you on this basis. Maybe, maybe Sunny Hill Ferndown needs to become the biggest tree in the garden so that the birds that are tired from flying in the world can come and find rest and shelter in this place. The, the challenge that I guess I want to put to you this morning is that we said at the start, all good things come to an end which is true to a measure. It's a very pessimistic statement. Actually, it's not entirely true. Your walk with God doesn't have to come to an end. His work in your life doesn't have to come to an end. You walking in blessing and promise doesn't have to come to an end. So I think there's a greater statement that we can begin to prophesy and speak over one another, and it's this. All good things have to come to a beginning. All good things have to come to an end? No, not always. But every good thing that exists definitely had a beginning. All good things that we look at and celebrate and champion. Wow, look at Bethel. Look at that ministry. Look at that preacher. Look at that marriage. Look at that family. Look at that businessman. Look at that businesswoman. Wow, just look at them. Look at those kids. Let me tell you, all those good things had an origin. All those great things that inspired us had an inception at some point. And my challenge to you today is you can choose to pick up the plumb line tool and say, how do I become a trophy of God's grace so that one day, and we're not doing it for this, people look to us and go, wow, one day, one day. Wow, do you see how Sunny Hill started? Look where it's at now. They've transformed the places in which it worships on a Sunday. Wow, did you see how that marriage was, how it was always chaotic, but now how they are just like smashing it for the kingdom of God and there's so much love in the household and they're raising kind of generals of the faith. Do you see that, that businessman who is now like raking in the millions and resourcing world missions across the globe, but actually started in his mom's garage at home? Like, there's something awesome about smallness that shouldn't be despised. It should be celebrated. Broken people trying to make sense of this world, just saying, God, we believe that you have called us to significance. We believe that you've called us to something great. Right now we feel small, but we know you don't despise the day of small beginnings. Actually, we know that you rejoice when we acknowledge our smallness and pick up a tool and go, I'm going to start building. Yeah. I want to challenge you, church, to kind of have a mindset shift to go, you know what? All good things might come to an end, but more true than that, all good things must come to a beginning. I'm going to resolve to start this rebuild in my life today maybe this morning you that resonates with some of you maybe on a church level maybe on a personal level I want to invite you to stand where you are I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would help you in your smallness to get a vision for greatness but also to start building in the process Father God I love you we love you for those who are willing just close your eyes and just open your hands as a sign of surrender Father, I pray for every brother and sister standing here this morning, Lord God. I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would minister to their core, 
this afternoon, this morning, Lord God. I pray, God, that as we stand here in your presence, Lord, that you would not just give us a a big vision, but that, God, your Holy Spirit would help us understand, God, that that big vision is attained not by one massive step, but by a million small steps toward it, God. I pray for every marriage, God, in this room, God, that just needs a touch of your Holy Spirit right now to refresh it and just to renew that love and commitment and covenant to one another, God. I speak life over the marriages in this room, God, that just need a touch of heaven, God, and and that moment where they say, you know what, we can build together today. We can make that resolution right now. I want to pray for every next gen in this room who's maybe in this study phase trying to work out what are they going to do with their future, God. I thank you, God, that you do not despise them in their confusion. You do not despise them in the smallness as they try to just sit in subjects and don't really make sense of it God but even in that Lord I just pray that there would be a heart and commitment to say God I don't know the full picture I don't know but you do because you see the end from the beginning so I'm going to trust in you I'm going to put all my confidence in you I'm going to put all my faith in you for every person today in work and in areas of responsibility who are trying to make sense of their career and vocation God I thank you God that you care about that I thank you, God, that you really care about that. And Lord, I pray, God, in their smallness and insignificance, even with the trials and the hardships and challenges they're facing, God, that they would know, God, this isn't about might or power, good ideas. It's not about their ability to muster up something good. But Lord, when we're in your kingdom, when we have given our hearts to you, it's a work of your Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, even now, in Jesus' name, God. Bring life, bring joy, bring peace. God, for us as a church, corporately, Lord. God, I pray, God, that we would be so united in spirit and purpose, Lord, that our commitment to reach Ferndown and beyond for your glory, Lord, wouldn't just be a distant ambition and dream, but it would be founded and affirmed in the small actions that we commit to now. God, we might not have Wembley Arena with 20,000 people, but we do have a room with 50 people, God. And we do have a room with people right now who are standing, Lord. And Jesus, you did it with 12. God, we believe that you can do it with us. So God, we just offer ourselves to you again in our smallness and insignificance and say, God, would you just give us that vision, but also give us that determination to take one step at a time. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.